Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into Dunkirk on today's review episode. I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. Christopher Nolan's new film, Dunkirk, has just come out uh, in theaters this over this past weekend. I got a chance to see it in 70 millimeters, not IMAX, just 70 millimeters. Uh, it, um, that's about as big as I could go and still be able to get the ticket for free, quote unquote, free through a movie pass. And uh, this is um, his follow up to Interstellar in a sense, uh, uh, and it stars uh, Killian Murphy, Mark Rylance, Kenneth Branagh, Tom Hardy, James Darcy, Fionn Whitehead, Tom Glenn Carney, Jack Loudon, Harry Styles, Anurin Bernard, Barry Cogan, among others. It is a World War II epic that uh, takes place during the evacuation at Dunkirk, aptly named, and is being heralded as Christopher Nolan's best film yet. Now, given the films this man has been a part of and made, that is pretty high praise, for, in my opinion. Um, when you look at some of his history in films like Memento, The Prestige, Insomnia, Inception, The Dark Knight... Batman Begins, he has a very colored history and, and has created some of the biggest films to come out in recent memory. Um, so it is tough to, for me, it was tough for me to kind of figure out where among his pantheon I wanted to put this movie. And I... So I when I saw the film, you know, I, I I went in. I wasn't sure what to expect. I hadn't heard too much about the film. You know, I'd seen the trailer. I, I knew what the general gist of the story was going to be, but I didn't know how it was going to be portrayed. I didn't know what kind of story there was going to be. It seemed like there were a ton of different uh, perspectives in the trailer, and that's true to the film as well. There are a dozen of dozens of perspectives from in the film uh, which is split up over three specific and distinct timelines uh, the first uh, is is the beach itself or or how they call it the mole which follows uh, Fionn Whitehead and other soldiers as they are trying to escape also features uh, Kenneth Branagh James Darcy who are high-ranking uh, general captain sergeant lieutenant uh, people in the British military, and it's sort of those people attempting to get off the beach, trying to find boats that can sail, trying to avoid uh, lurking submarines and uh, fighter jets above in the air, and the impending uh, f uh, front of the German army coming from land, and just doing anything they can possibly do to survive. Uh, th this and as we're shown in the film, this is an event, this scene and and timeline takes place over the course of a week. Uh, the next one is uh, the sea, 
which is uh, the Mark Rylands and um, Mark Rylands, Killian Murphy on their boat, along with their uh, Mark Rylands' son and then uh, another friend of theirs who are, who, at, in the opening of the scene, we see that uh, the army, and the navy rather, is taking control of their boat and going to use it to ferry soldiers off of the beach at Dunkirk. What mean? Uh, instead, Mark Rylance and his son decide, no, we're going to do that ourselves, and they ship off to take and, and take their boat over to Dunkirk on their own. And this timeline takes place takes over place over the course of one day. And finally, uh, with Tom Hardy and I believe Jack Loudon, uh, these are two fighter pilots in the air in Spitfires who are doing everything they can to prevent uh, enemy planes from bombing the hell out of the beach at Dunkirk uh, as best as they can. Uh, also features Michael Caine as the um, operator voice um, for like two, maybe three lines at most. So, you, so what you end up with is a film that has three distinct timelines. Each is at a different, uh, is is operating at a different speed, and yet they're all intercut and interwoven together seamlessly. The editing in this film is phenomenal. You know it. It rivals anything he's ever done in any of his previous films. Uh, it's it's on, you know, it's been a long time since I've seen Memento, uh, but I would say that I prefer the way that this is edit, edited to the way to do how well Memento was edited, just as far as how non-linear the structure of time is portrayed. There are some scenes, you know, where. Uh, one the most memorable transition for me is between a, a boat that is co- uh, in the process of filling up with water, everybody's dr- drowning, and we cut between that and a pilot who is stuck in his cockpit as he has hit the water and he is also in the process of uh, drowning. And, you know, just we just cut back and forth and you don't really realize that they're not. I mean, I mean, there's enough information given to you in the first five minutes to know that these are two, se- these are three separate timelines that are not happening concurrently as they are being shown to us. Uh, but, but it, it definitely never feels they never feel like they're happening so distant from each other that they don't correspond to each other. If that makes any sense, uh, you know, the editing is just so perfectly precise that the transition between one and another does not dr- lose you when you're following it you're able to keep your mind on the story and you don't kind of lose your footing lose your your ground as it were some simply by being dripped away from one storyline and taken into another and and you know, and to that end, another strength is you're not wishing you're back with any one storyline. At least I wasn't personally. You know, I pre- uh, I think I preferred uh, the moments on the mole the most. I think there was a lot happening there. I think there was a lot of great sound. I think there was a lot of great performances. You know, I think Fiona Whitehead does an incredible job, sort of as the 
as an unknown who steps into this main role and uh, carries a big chunk of this film on his own. Uh, but that being said, you know, I was not disappointed to check in with Tom Hardy. I was not disappointed to check in with Mark Rylance. You know, the scenes between Mark Rylance and Killian Murphy are fantastic. Uh, you know, every every moment that we're up in the up in the plains watching Tom Hardy and and Jack Loudon and their do- dog fighting was tense and terrifying because what Nolan does in this movie is is brilliant and. There are a lot of detractors for this for this element, and that is, he eliminates the idea of character. He just completely throws that out the window. This isn't Interstellar and Inception with poorly written characters for the most part. This um, and this isn't Batman Begins or The Dark Knight or The Dark Knight Rises with which is mostly just a character study of Bruce Wayne slash Batman. Uh, this isn't Memento, where we focus on one character. This isn't Insomnia, about Al Pacino and Rob and Robin Williams. This isn't any of those movies. There's no characters. Most of them don't have names. I think the most, the few, only few names you do hear are uh, the couple of kids on the boat on Mark Rylance's boat. I think you hear the names of the pilots in passing. Uh, one of them, you know, Collins and Farrier. And it just, so you're not attached to them in a traditional sense. Now, and I, I've seen a lot of people, I've read a lot of comments online like this, that ru- that ruined the movie for them, they couldn't get emotionally invested. And that's, I, that hurts, because, you know, I was ter- incredibly emotionally invested in this movie. It, it had nothing to do with the characters. And that's a very easy way for uh, most directors to draw you in. They have a character... Maybe it's um, more of an adventure action star lead where you end up with someone who doesn't have a lot of personality to them but allows you to kind of Keanu Reeves in uh, The Matrix where, yeah, he's not the best actor. He doesn't express. He doesn't have the most uh, sort of layers to him, but he allows you to envision yourself in his, in his particular role. Or you can have another, uh, you know, character so well defined that you can't help but feel like they're lived in and 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 envision everything about them. But this is a completely different way to emotionally draw you in, and that's using the events, using the surroundings, using the the time of the life, time of Earth's life in this movie. You know, we, this is World War II. We all know World War II. This is Dunkirk, which is a very important and uh, significant event in the history of World War II. Whether or not you had any idea of what it was before this, I'm sure you learned it from someone else who went to see the movie with you. You looked it up on your own when you heard the movie title was Dunkirk, or you just kind of understood what was happening once you saw, like, the first ten minutes of the movie. Because... The reason this film is so emotionally affecting is because you're not worried that Tom Hardy is, you know, you're not emotionally invested in Tom Hardy living or Mark Rylance surviving or or Kenneth Branagh or Killian Murphy. You're emotionally invested in the efforts and the soldiers surviving. You're emotionally invested in a successful evacuation. 
and yes, that lends it, and then that by itself lends itself lends to all these other smaller factions of things that are happening. It lends itself to Fionn Whitehead scrambling and swimming through, you know, oil oil soaked water. It lends itself to, um, you know, the pilot dr- drowning in his cockpit to. Uh, young soldiers trapped in a boat getting shot at to bombs to uh, evacuate just it's just all the things that are happening going on are just continuing to escalate and elevate in tension in pounding 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 drama and that's kind of where this film takes you so to 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 suggest that you know you can't connect to this movie is ludicrous now to say you can't connect to these characters is fine and i totally agree with that but there is an emotional core to this movie it just has nothing to do with the characters themselves <sighs> moving on uh there's so uh, I mentioned the sort of percussive elements going on in this movie. There's a ticking clock noise that permeates throughout the background of a, a, a large percentage of this movie that is one of the most nerve-wracking and tension-building sound effects that has ever been used or that I've ever heard before in my life. This is the loudest movie I've ever went and I've ever seen in my entire life. It was deafening, and I was sitting uh, in the third to back row in my theater, towards the middle. I can't imagine sitting close, like as close as a lot of other people were. I, it was, you know, I saw people covering their ears. It was just incredible. And while Nolan's been criticized in the past for his sound design, his sound editing, I do think that. In this particular film, he nailed it. He, you know, it seems like all these people who detracted, decried a lot of the things that Nolan has done in the past with his characters, with his sound, with his, uh, you know, his his style and his lack of, you know, good screenplays and things like that. He, rather than try to correct these problems that people apparently had with his films, he has steered completely in the other direction. He dropped the characters. He made a film that utilizes the type of sound that he prefers. Uh, he made a film that has nearly no dialogue and is the shortest screenplay, I think, that he's ever uh, directed. Um, it is the second shortest film he's ever made, which is uh, only longer than his debut feature, which is Following, which most people haven't even seen. And... And to that respect, you know, he has created a film that is so unlike anything that has ever been made before. It's no plot. There's no beginning, middle, and end in the same uh, traditional sense that you would expect. Um, we pick up in the middle, um, effectively, and you know, it's not like the war's over at the end of this movie. It's literally just this one evacuation. That's all we're focused on. We have sort of bittersweet endings for every single timeline, and we don't really know the ultimate result for any of these people um, that are alive at the end, for that ma- for, for what that's worth. 
Um, and to that effect, there are still people left on the beach at the end of this movie. We have not evacuated everybody by the end of the movie. And so that's for, for that to be for this film to have come out and be given such an incredible response from critics, from uh, from uh, you know fans and detractors of Nolan alike is incredible. You know, I I've been anticipating this movie for quite some time. And while, you know, I don't think Nolan could ever live up to my, my expectations again following The Dark Knight, you know, he had, you know, I did not get the movie I thought I was going to get. And I'm so much happier that that is the case. This is so different from the movies he's put out before. And it's just, it's technically a masterpiece. You know, it, it's not, I'm, you know, again, I'm not, it's not my favorite film that he's ever made. But technically, um, it is an absolute masterpiece. You know, he used real ships to film all of these scenes. He used real explosions. You know, there's no CGI in here. Um, he had, like, thousands and thousands of extras lining the beaches to portray the 400,000 people who were there at the, at the evacuation at Dunkirk. And it's... it's you know, it's another sort of layer, another sort of side to what we thought we had seen all the sides of, of war films. And this is a completely new element, a completely new style, a completely new portrayal of what that is like. And I, I think that it's, whether or not, you know, people are talking about Oscar nominations and, you know, how, where Dunkirk is, fits into all that. I don't know. I, 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 you know, I hope it gets a lot of love come Oscar time. But even if it doesn't, I think it will still be remembered and, and talked about years from now as a film that has kind of changed the landscape. Because it, it, you look at a, you know, you look at other war films, you have that emotional component tied to characters. You have that, you know, Saving Private Ryan is about saving Private Ryan. Like, that's the point of the movie. You have these characters that you're invested in. Tom Hanks, Tom Sizemore. And there's none of that in Dunkirk. You know, there's a this is a war that isn't, doesn't even involve American people in it, for starters. Uh, so, you know, America being the, you know, largest cinema market around does not have a person in this movie to connect with. It is all about the British, um, and it, it. And yet, at the same time, like I'm American, I am not necessarily the most patriotic American around. But I just I could not escape the sense that this is a movie that I felt deeply, deeply connected to, because I think the idea of survival and is, is something that permeates through everyone. You know, it's that fight-or-flight instinct. You are going to... Deep, you know, deep inside of you, you are going to make the motion and, and take the action that you think is going to put you in the best situation to move forward in the best possible circumstance. 
and that is this movie to a T. It is every single character in this movie, every single actor, every single perspective, every single shot, every single scene is people trying to put themselves in the absolute best position to survive and to move forward with their lives. And still, at the end of the day, still at the end of the film, the vast majority of them uh, are, are disappointed that of the living ones. The vast majority of those that make it off the beach are disappointed because they lost. Like, that's the crazy thing. Like, they still lost that battle. They are losing this war. And yet, because so many people were saved, because so many lives were actually did survive, it forever changed, you know, what should have been the course of history and how devastating losing all 400,000 soldiers on that beach would have been to uh, the allies during that war. So there's an incredible sense of just bittersweet emotion that sort of that that lays underneath the surface throughout this film. Uh, you know, you have people who are cheering these soldiers and, and, you know, you have people coming to rescue them that are saying, you know, you did a great job, like, you're amazing, we're so happy that you're alive, and they're just like, no, we lost, we fucking suck. <laughs> and that's just, I don't know, I, just, I found that so incredibly moving. Uh, you'll notice uh, that unlike my last review for War for the Planet of the Apes, this, is, this review is not scripted whatsoever. Uh, I didn't have the time to do that even if I had wanted to. So uh, if that disappoints anybody, I'm, I'm greatly sorry. I deeply apologize. Um, before we wrap this up, though, and uh, didn't want to go into spoilers. There's not too many spoilers to kind of go into, but there are a few things here and there. So I'm going to avoid that. I do think everyone should go out and see this movie. I think it's incredible. Um, I currently have it as my number two film of the year. I still rank it behind War for Planet of the Apes. But I put it in the, I put it directly between War and uh, The Big Sick for this year at the moment. But one last thing I want to go through is the Circle of Film Awards and what uh, nominations I have given Dunkirk from the outset. And if I can remember them, I will try to figure out what films lost nominations to make way for Dunkirk. So, uh, Dunkirk bursts onto the scene with six nominations. Uh, that puts it tied with Logan behind Worf the Planet of the Apes and The Big Sick uh, with eight and seven respectively. Dunkirk is nominated for Best Picture, uh, stealing a nomination spot from Wonder Woman. I have it nominated for Best Director, stealing a spot taken by Matt Reeves for Worf the Planet of the Apes. It then skips all of the acting nominations, no screenplay, no best song, but does get a best score nomination, and I believe, let's see, it took it from uh, The Zookeeper's Wife, took it from The Zookeeper's Wife, Zookeeper's Wife is now eliminated from the 2017 Circle of Film Awards. Uh, Dunkirk currently has a tactile effects nomination which it took from a War for the Planet of the Apes. It has a special effects nomination. Uh, and so there's no CGI, but 
the special effects category here is kind of also includes uh, I don't know tactile and special effects kind of encompass costumes makeup uh, sound editing sound design film editing visual effects cinematography set design and so tactile effects is mostly going to be your uh, sort of your actually physically physical visual effects as well as your costumes and uh, makeup and uh, set design for the most part whereas special effect is going to be your cinematography your cinematography your film editing your cgi your mocap your this that and the other thing so sound design whatever uh, so dunkirk nominated there takes away a spot from uh, John Wick, Chapter 2, I believe. No, from the Lego Batman movie. It takes away a spot from the Lego Batman movie. And its sixth and final nomination is uh, for Best Scene. In this instance, the scene I'm referring to is the opening scene from uh, the soldiers at the mole who are walking down the street. Uh, that's all I'll tell you about it if you haven't seen the movie. And it cuts out the... Um, Cuts out a nomination for Logan for the compound attack scene. So, uh, long run for that nomination at, for Logan, but finally it drops off the list, and that leaves Logan with six nominations alongside Dunkirk, Big Sick at seven, War for the Apes at eight, uh, and then everything else at four or less. Uh, currently... Uh, that's that's where we stand. Circle of Film Awards. That's what's going on. That's where we're at. And I, uh, you know, I, it's it's a it's tough. You know, there's only twelve categories, so like Dunkirk is nominated for half the categories. It, you know, I recently went back and I've created the 2015 version of the 20 uh, the Circle of Film Awards, and the most nominations in that year that I had was seven uh, and it was and like there were nominations given to 21 different films with uh, two multiple winners uh, that year and the current uh, and a film that currently has won the most awards yet which is five um, if you know me, then you probably have a good idea of what movie that is that won five awards. I will be putting out an episode talking about the Circle of Film Awards from 2015 at some point this year when I find the time. Uh, that will hopefully come sooner rather than later, but again, I'm not, I can't see the future. So, uh, Dunkirk, again, uh, let's just kind of wrap it up, my final thoughts. I give it a 94. I think it is absolutely incredible for a lot of reasons that most people don't appreciate, I think, uh, that at least most non-critics don't appreciate, it is the most edge-of-your-seat, tension-laden film I've seen in quite some time, and it is an absolute roller coaster of just emotion and uh, feels in that sense. Uh, you know, it is a film that is unlike almost anything I've ever seen. You know, I've seen segments and scenes that are just like what I saw for Dunkirk. But Dunkirk, that is the entire movie. 
It is 105 minutes of just nonstop gripping your look, <laughs> gripping your chair, white knuckles, concern and worry over what is going to happen, and that in and of itself is very difficult to pull off effectively. And I think Nolan has outdone himself directorially. I think he's outdone himself technically. And I think that he is all the better for kind of ignoring the weaknesses that many people have found with his films in the past. So I I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It, for me, ranks uh, as Nolan's fourth best film behind The Dark Knight, behind Memento, and behind Batman Begins. Uh, you know, it's it's so close to Batman Begins. I might have to go back and rewatch Batman Begins uh, to to reaffirm my my stance on that issue. But I do think that um, the Batman Begins Batman Begins is just a uh, you know it came out of nowhere as a like one of the greatest comic book origin stories ever told and it presented batman and the superhero character in a grounded reality that made sense and i think i i, I think it's christian bale's best performance as the batman slash bruce wayne character so I, I do think that it is an incredible movie, but again, I do think I might have to go back and rewatch it at some point. And if I do, you know, I will adjust things as I need to. But for the moment, fourth best film from Christopher Nolan. It does move Christopher Nolan into number one overall uh, on my director spreadsheet uh, with his eleventh film, um, surpassing Steven Spielberg by about one and a half points, a little more than that. Uh, so, but we, the trailer for Ready Player One just dropped the other day, and that looks incredibly entertaining, so Spielberg might return to the top in short order. On the other hand, if Nolan does get nominated for director and possibly win, that'll give him a little bit of an extra boost and uh, might survive the uh, Ready Player One release, so we'll see. Uh, thank you so very much for listening. Uh, that's going to be all for today's episode. Uh, like I said, please go go out and watch Dunkirk. It's it's an, an experience that needs to be seen to be understood. Uh, if you have any comments, concerns, questions, or answers, you can send those to circlefilm at gmail.com. And if you are interested in other episodes of the podcast or information about me, about the podcast, about the spreadsheet, if you want to check out the Circle of Film winners or nominees from last year and this year, you can head over to circleoffilm.com. And, as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same goodnight. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from view. So long, farewell, I'll be the same Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute.